Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Believe in UCLA football podcast. We'll be here with a new episode for you right after this quick note. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events whether that's the NFL, the NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your reward. Again, promo code B-L-E-A-V. That spells BELIEVE. Bet online where the game starts. Hey everybody, James Williams here, a co-host for the Believe in UCLA football podcast. I'm also an editor and reporter for the Orange County Register and the Southern California News Group. As always, we look to bring you uh, the best insight and coverage on the Bruins as possible. But we'll also like to get in some other interviews that kind of give a uh, a more broad perspective and maybe a little bit more um, an insight from a different perspective when it comes to the Bruins and just college football in general. And that's what we're going to be doing a little bit here today. Uh, we have the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl president and CEO, Gary Stoken, joining the show today. Had an opportunity to chat with him, and I think you guys will learn uh, some good stuff from it. Um, there's a lot of good stuff to take away. We talked about a number of different topics. Again, uh, just the perspective um, from the East Coast uh, when looking at a UCLA, a USC, and just the Pac-12 as a whole, right? Um, and then also uh, what Gary Stoken and, and his crew do uh, as far as being in charge of putting together uh, some of the biggest games to kick off the college football season, much like they did this season and in previous seasons. Uh, for example, the game there against Oregon and Georgia um, obviously didn't work out in Oregon's favor, um, but we talk about that game and a little bit about the importance of that, um, of those kind of games and how they're still relevant and talked about, especially uh, during the college football playoff ranking shows, for example, and, and the way we talk about these teams throughout the weeks uh, as the rankings come out and we evaluate a resume like Oregon and, and we evaluate how maybe that one loss whether it helps or hurts them having played Georgia so early in the season. So we kind of go over some of the importance of the kickoff games and how they kind of go about that process a little bit, right. And what it means. Um, yeah. So a lot, a lot of great stuff uh, from this interview. I learned some things and hopefully you guys will too. Um, but yeah, it should be a fun one, but as always, make sure you guys are going ahead following us on Twitter at believe UCLA and also make sure you're telling your friends about the podcast. We can't do it without you guys and without your support. Uh, so make sure you're sharing it with other UCLA fans, other college football fans. Uh, we would love to continue to have more ears and eyes on the content that we're doing here for the Believe in UCLA football podcast. Um, but again, my interview with Gary Stoken. Uh, excited for you guys to listen to this one. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Again, thank you for being here. Um, the first thank one for me us. is... Uh, thank you. Um, the first one, I, I think when we initially uh, were going to come together for this 
conversation. It was with the the thought that UCLA was still going to be in the mix for the college football playoff. Obviously, uh, that's kind of kind of fallen off a little bit with their their loss to Arizona this past week. But um, Southern California wise, USC still in the mix. Uh, just any quick thoughts on on having a team like USC potentially uh, competing there in the Peach Bowl? Well, it's great to see this year teams like USC and UCLA and Oregon back in the mix, um, as well as Tennessee and some of the new uh, newer teams back in the mix that have been there before and joining teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia, and Alabama. So college football is the second most favorite sport in this country, only behind the NFL. So um, we're stronger when there's teams east to west, north to south. So great to see UCLA and USC back in the mix. Chip Kelly and Lincoln Rally have done a great job this year. Uh, obviously, you know, USC um, being in the top 10, um, you know, still has a possibility to be the Pac-12 champ and, and uh, potentially, based on the CFP selection committee, have a chance as a champion of the Pac-12. And if they were to win with only one loss against a good Utah team, mm -hmm. you know, they've had to, they'd have to be considered, I would think. Yeah, that's the that's the debate. And obviously we've, you know, obviously covering UCLA, but uh, with the big game with USC and UCLA coming up, uh, there's a whole lot of talk about the tiebreakers and the what ifs and uh, I try to save myself the headache and, and avoid trying to piece together what will happen because if any if if we learned anything from uh, just this season, it it's impossible to try and predict college what football. Anything can happen <laughs> in college football. That's right. Um, one thing for me, looking at the history of the Peach Bowl and more specifically, um, when it comes to the Peach Bowl being a semifinal game, is it's been one one versus four the last two times. Is that going to be the case this year? I don't know if, if that's written in stone somewhere or. Yeah, no, just... it's a great question. Uh, us and the Fiesta Bowl will be the two uh, hosts mm -hmm. of the semifinal for the CFP this year. And the CFP selection committee, uh, when they rank their teams, the only preferential treatment they give is to the team that's ranked number one. Okay. They will place them geographically advantage wise for their fans in the bowl that's closest to them. So gotcha. give you an example, if the season ended today, Georgia being number one, obviously mm -hmm. would be in Atlanta. Um, you know, if it's UCLA or USC's number one, you know, they put <laughs> them in the Fiesta Bowl. So mm -hmm. uh, that's the only preference the CFP selection committee would give. Gotcha, in, yeah. in those years, we had uh, Alabama was number one. So we had Alabama. In 19, we had uh, uh, LSU, that's, yes, who was number that's one. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is the third it, yeah. time we've hosted the semifinal. And so you guys are, well, the Peach Bowl, the winner of the Peach Bowl, uh, obviously sticking with the those two games in which the Peach Bowl was the semifinal game. Um, one, one and one in terms of teams that have won the Peach Bowl and gone on to compete in the national championship. Uh, when you, when you kind of have a winner for the Peach Bowl and have that representative in the championship game, do you personally find yourself rooting for that team or, or where do you kind of stand once it kind of goes beyond yeah, the Peach Bowl? Good, that's cool. I never thought about that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, the way I answer most times is, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of friends in the business after being in this for 25 years. And so you root for friends. Um, so uh, more than rooting for teams, I root for friends. So I don't know who will be in our game and what that situation would be, but you know, sure, there's a fondness of a team that plays in our game that wins to go on. And, you know, you hope they 
represent the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl well and, you know, go on and win the semi, win it not only the semifinal, but the national championship game. That's right. And um, one other thing I kind of read was it sounds like the Peach Bowl is already slotted for 2025 to be a semifinal game again. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about the expansion of the playoffs and uh, will it come early? Will it happen when it's scheduled to happen at the moment? Um, one, just your thoughts on the expansion. And two, is it um, at least at the moment, no matter what happens, a semifinal game for the Peach Bowl will will happen in 2025 regardless? Yeah, good question. The um, the presidents have uh, asked the commissioners to take a look at moving the 12 team playoff forward to 2024 and 2025. In the case of uh, successfully doing that, uh, <laughs> we would be a semifinal semi in 25 okay. and a quarterfinal in 24. Atlanta would ho also host the national championship game after the 24 season. So um, that's baked in. The championship game is already baked in. Uh, the semifinal is baked in for 25, no matter whether they move forward with the playoff or not mm -hmm. under the existing contract. The only difference would be in 24 is that if they move the playoff forward, we would be a quarterfinal. If they don't move the playoff forward, we would host, you know, uh, more than likely two top 10 teams in that year. Mm -hmm. um, again, just your, your overall thoughts on, on the expansion and, um, where have you kind of been in that process? It, it, you don't have to say too much, obviously, but yeah, just... I, I think the playoff, you know, a lot of people think, well, we want to play off. We want to play off. And in my estimation, the playoff started a couple of weeks ago when number one played number three, Tennessee, Georgia, yeah. uh, you had uh, number six, Alabama play number nine, LSU. Mm -hmm. um, and you had number one, uh, number what nine and number you're talking about Tennessee, Alabama. Notre Dame was number oh. 19, I guess, or something mm -hmm. at the time, or might not even been ranked. Beat number nine, Clemson. So I think they number, did that and moved in. Yeah, I think yeah. You had number one, in, number or, six, yeah. and number nine all lose. Mm -hmm. Number one, number four, and number nine lose that weekend. So yeah, that was a yeah, that was the start of the playoff. And <laughs> mm -hmm. and even where you're at now on the West Coast with the Pac-12, you know they've put their schedule on the backside, heavy mm -hmm. up with Utah going to Oregon. You know, uh, UCLA plays USC. Mm -hmm. They it's still big have week, a Pac-12 yeah. championship. So mm -hmm. those are all kind of playing games, right, to get to the to the Pac-12 championship game, That's which right. ultimately the Pac-12 championship team should have a chance to uh, be recognized and possibly be in the uh, CFP semifinals. What are your thoughts on, on the Pac-12, again, just being one much improved um, I think there's a potential for like four or five teams getting 10 wins. But again, uh, there's parity across the board in college football. Obviously, when you have teams like uh, Alabama on the lower half of the top 10, Clemson, for example. But um, just again, with the Oregon, USC, UCLA, uh, Washington now being in that mix again after beating Oregon. Um, what are your thoughts? I guess I'm just kind of curious, the, maybe a national perspective or the, the East Coast perspective of how they kind of view the Pac-12. Yeah, very, very... Uh impressed with the Pac-12 coaching changes that they have made mm -hmm. from Dan Lanning to Coach DeBoer, uh, both of which have, have uh, you know, uh, been successful uh, as assistant coaches and Coach DeBoer as head coach, you mm -hmm. know, in another division. Um, and then also with Chip Kelly, Lincoln Rally, and Coach Whittingham. 
you know, there's some excellent coaches out there, number one. Number two, the players, when you think about, you know, uh, uh, DJ uh, Unguela at Clemson, mm -hmm. when you think of Stroud at Ohio State, when you think of Young at Alabama, mm -hmm. when you think of JT Daniels, who was at Georgia now at West Virginia, mm -hmm. all those kids are California quarterbacks. Yep. And so the more the Pac-12 can continue the success that they've had. Like, I think they'll have five teams ranked in the uh, uh, selection process this week mm -hmm. uh, by the CFP. The more they can be competitive, the more kids are going to want to stay out there in the West Coast and compete. Because if you can compete for a national championship, you know, that's what kids want to do. They want to play on big stages and big games for, for uh, you know, championships. And so, you know, I think Washington, USC – Utah, UCLA, um, Oregon, they'll continue their success over the next, you know, period of time here. And that's that's good for Pac-12, but it's also good for college football. No doubt about it. And again, we, you know, we've mentioned Oregon and Dan Landing here um, quite a bit so far. Uh, they played Georgia early on, and, and now it's the kickoff game that you guys hosted, um, at least out here Pac-12-wise, and uh, when evaluating Oregon's resume and, and, and kind of what is kind of the ghost for them having lost in the fashion that they did against Georgia. Um, what is that like for you guys on your end to know that there's that, that game so early on in the season still matters and carries weight and plays a significant role in, in maybe how things end up shaking up here in, in the college football playoff scene. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, James, when you think about uh, that we're through week 11 now, I haven't seen mm -hmm. the ratings TV ratings audiences for week 11, but through week 10, um, the Georgia-Oregon game was in the top 10 of all games uh, through 10 weeks of uh, college football in viewership. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you look at LSU, Florida State, and Ohio State, Notre Dame, that were also on the first yeah, week, I remember those, those are games, in the yeah. top five. So that first week of college football, people are dying to watch college football because <laughs> we've missed it for nine months, number one. Right. Number two, if you can put ranked teams together like Oregon and Georgia, people are going to you know, be very interested in that. And I would contend that that Oregon game against Georgia, even though Oregon didn't fare well, you know, you had a first-time uh, first quarterback in Knicks. Mm -hmm. Sure, he had been at Auburn and started many games against the SEC, but first time at Oregon, first offensive coordinator, first-time head coach. You know, mm -hmm. so um, – and most coaches will tell you, teams improve the most between week one and week two. And if you look at Oregon, since that game, they were able to use that film against really good competition and mm -hmm. coach their kids up individually as well as collectively. Look at the success they've had ever since. Um, and, I, and I think same thing with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you know, loses to Ohio State, but look at the success they've had. Yeah. You look at mm – -hmm. um, you know, teams that play Florida State played LSU. Mm -hmm. They won the game barely. Yeah. And even look at LSU, what both Florida State and LSU have done since then. So those first games are very, very important, not only in ratings. Like if Oregon beats Washington, right, and they go mm -hmm. on to win the Pac-12 with one loss against the number one team in the country and as a Pac-12 champ, I think they probably deserve consideration to be in the top four. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. that that Georgia game would have been a quote unquote good loss 
in the eyes of the CFP because they do commend and they they uh, tell you you have to go play tough non-conference games to be selected in the Final Four. And so, um, you know, tough loss to Oregon against a good Washington team. But, you know, if they had won that game and went, to, went on to win the Pac-12, that Georgia game would have been beneficial to uh, Oregon, not only in helping them improve during the year, but also in the final CFP selection. Um, again, and just in learning about the Peach Bowl, and obviously I've covered a couple Rose Bowl games here, heard quite a bit about it, obviously going to the Rose Bowl weekly for home games for UCLA. Um, tradition is a big thing, and I know that's kind of something that's being floated around in talks of maybe something that may be a hurdle in some regard for the college football playoff expansion. But I am kind of curious on the Peach Bowl, its traditions, and how much that is still a factor for you guys as the Peach Bowl um, when it comes down to maybe having to adjusting um, for the college football playoff expansion on your guys' end. Yeah, we've worked very hard to become the most charitable bowl organization in the country. We've we've donated $60 million uh, back to uh, uh, charities since 2002, which makes us number one out of all bowl organizations. Number two, we, we use a theme, live, laugh, and learn, where we want the teams to come in, live great, laugh, have some fun, but also learn. So give an example, we're going to put both teams in the pews at Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King actually was the pastor and spoke from the pulpit. And uh, we're gonna have Ambassador Andy Young who was part of the, the top eight uh, people with Dr. King during the civil rights movement along with Bill Curry, who is a coach at Alabama and Kentucky and Georgia Tech and Georgia State, uh, played for Vince Lombardi and Don Shula. Um, and he has a book out, 10 Men in the Huddle where it talks about, you know, you could have a black kid from Compton and a white kid from the hills of North Carolina and a, and a Jewish person and a Christian and a Catholic mm-hmm. and all be in that huddle together. And all that goes away because they're teammates and they need each other to be successful. And so in this day and time, it's really, you know, relevant. And it's a history lesson listening to the ambassador young, because these kids weren't even born when the civil rights movement was going on. And Ambassador Young actually talks about, you know, some of the experiences he had. So, you know, that's something that, you know, we try and carry on as, as a learning process uh, as a part of the bowl experience as well. And then the third thing is we work very hard credit to our, our corporate community, our fans in, in Metro Atlanta, our staff, our board, and our volunteers that uh, whether it's recruiting the College Football Hall of Fame and building it and sustaining it here in Atlanta, whether it's creating the kickoff games and really changing the face of college football scheduling on the front side of the season Mm -hmm. um, to elevating our our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl to be a part of the CFP to helping host the national championship game, which in 2025 will be the first city to host it twice um, since it started back in 2014. So, you know, we've done all those things. Hopefully that's good enough to keep us as a part of an expanded playoff starting in 2026 to continue to be part of the New Year's Six and host quarterfinals and semifinal games. 
Uh, and one thing that you mentioned there uh, was the College uh, Football Hall of Fame. And that was a place I, I actually been out to um, Atlanta just once um, through an APSC fellowship. And luckily enough, we were able to go and visit uh, the College oh, Football great. Hall of Fame. And, and it, it was great. It was a great experience. Uh, the one thing that obviously catches my eye is when you first walk in, you see all the helmets kind of lined up there. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I heard you were involved in relocating, I believe, to to that location. Can you just tell me a little bit maybe about that uh, briefly? And then obviously, uh, just what are some of the cool things that maybe if someone's going out to visit the Peach Bowl or even one of the kickoff games at the beginning of the season, uh, why they should go and check out the College Football Hall of Fame when they're in Atlanta? Yeah, I originally went to South Bend, Indiana, where the College Football Hall of Fame was located back in 2001. Mm. And as I went through there, I thought, geez, this would be great in Atlanta. And so uh, by 2010, their contract had ended in South Bend. And so I got a lot of people in Atlanta excited about it. We went forward and made a, a, a pitch uh, with the governor of Georgia and myself and and we won the, the opportunity through National Football Foundation. So signed a 30-year uh, lease for the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh, we were the first money in. And uh, I became the CEO. Um, we put the site together, the, uh, uh, the experience, the building, mm -hmm. uh, the finances, et cetera. And I remember telling the architect and the exhibit designer that we needed to build an edutainzeum which is not a word, but it, it, basic, <laughs> it basically was what I wanted the people to experience is an, an education of college football, an mm. entertainment of college football, and then a history of college football. And so we wanted to make, make it very interactive. Um, and uh, I think we've succeeded. Most people enjoy the experience, come to Atlanta, whatever reason, they definitely need to stop to the College Football Hall of Fame for that experience. No doubt. I think you guys definitely checked all the boxes. Um, yeah, there was a lot of great things. I think there was even a college game day desk in there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, we did. Time yeah. I, sure yeah. Did. So that, that, that was pretty cool. Um, I'll get you out on this question. Uh, it's my understanding, again, just from uh, reading about you. Um, is that you, you know, you worked on the business side a little bit, I think, in sports management, sports management and some marketing. Um, I saw some names there. Um, Magic Johnson. Kobe Bryant, did you get to work with them personally? And if so, uh, do you have any good stories that you can share with us? Yeah, I had a uh, great experience with both Kobe and, and Magic uh, for two mm -hmm. different companies. Matter of fact, I um, worked for Adidas from uh, 80 to 87 and then went to Converse in uh, 87, 88. So I had a chance to um, basically work on Magic's contract and Larry Bird's contract mm -hmm. uh, back then. Uh, and extended their contract, uh, put an addendum to it. So had a personal experience there and worked with Lon Rosen, who's now the vice president of the Dodgers, who was uh, Magic's agent. Uh, and then Kobe, I was able to uh, create Kobe's uh, global marketing campaign when I was unit manager at Adidas. And Sonny Vaccaro, who worked for Adidas, had signed Kobe and worked uh, with uh, people all over the world to put together Kobe's global marketing campaign. And, you know, we did the TV spot and he created his shoe, the apparel, and Kobe did a lot to launch himself, obviously. He won yeah. rookie of the year that year. <laughs> he was slam dunk contest winner. Um, but uh, I left Adidas after that first year and came back to Atlanta to do this job, basically. And Kobe went on, as we all know, to have a mm -hmm. fantastic career and, uh, 
um, you know, very successful in, in all that he did, as did Magic. You know, mm-hmm. those two are probably two of the, uh, uh, the classiest guys I ever worked with in the sports business. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for your time, Gary. I appreciate it. Um, again, I, I hope you have a great day. And um, the next time I'm in, At- I'm in Atlanta, I'll be sure to check out the College Football Hall of Fame and hopefully the Peach Bowl one day. Well, hopefully we get a chance to host you at the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And James, awesome. thanks for having us. Again, make sure you guys go ahead and follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at JHW Reporter. You can follow the show at Believe UCLA. This podcast, the Believe in UCLA football podcast, was presented by Bet Online. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.